Hello, and welcome to our podcast for College Catholics. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. With today's episode, I will begin the presentation of the Catholic Creed, that is a summary of the truths of our faith that we profess as Catholics. I will bring a guest to discuss some of the main professions of faith that were put forth through the centuries. We will look at the purpose of these written formulas and professions of faith, and then we will look at some of the most important ones that have been handed down to us from the very beginnings of the Catholic history and Catholic Church. Start starting with some of the ones that appear in the New Testament, followed by the Apostles' Creed, Apostles' Creed, and then finally the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. So this is a summary of what we're going to do today. So in previous previous episodes, particularly episode number six and number eight. We spoke about how God's revelation through Jesus Christ and how our Lord Jesus Christ established his church on the Twelve Apostles to receive, receive, preserve, and pass on the whole revelation of God, what we call the deposit of faith. So the goal, goal of God's revelation is to show us the way to reach heaven, our salvation. The truths that our Lord has revealed to us are therefore most important for us in our path to salvation. This is why from the very beginnings, the apostles and later their successors presented the faith in certain simple, clear formulas that express the content of our faith. The goal is not to embrace some literary expressions or formulas in themselves, but to believe the realities that they express. So you don't want to stay and get caught up in the expression itself, but some expressions are most important as they are through history because they lead us to a more precise understanding of the things that we ultimately want to embrace. And eventually, or uh, ultimately, we want to embrace the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That is what we want to embrace, love, and believe in. Right? So in a sense, our faith should, your faith should not be a commitment to some truths exclusively or sort of a philosophy of thought or a dogmatic system of thought. There should be a personal commitment, a personal love for God, for Jesus Christ, who is God and man. Jesus Christ who was born for me, who died on the cross for me, and who taught me, who taught you, the way to eternal salvation. Still, because he has taught so many things that are necessary for our salvation, the church, that is the community of believers established on the apostles, has repeatedly presented the truths given by Jesus Christ in simple formulas, like a summary, for us to know more easily what to believe and, what to, and to know what Jesus Christ has taught, because those are the, that's the path to salvation, to eternal salvation. So these short expressions of, or presentations of the faith can be found scattered even throughout the Holy Scriptures, even in the Old Testament, and, of course, in the New Testament. So here are some examples of the Old Testament, uh, let's see if you want to call them formulas of faith that the people repeated and knew by heart, knew by heart and they had to remember and that gave unity to the faith of the people of Israel. One of them is, you can look it up, Deuteronomy chapter 26, Verses 5 and 9, 5 through 9. When the person brought a gift to the altar, 
would give it, hand it up to the priest, hand it over to the priest, and the priest should, would take it, right? And the person would say, before the priest and before the Lord, your God, quote, a wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this was repeated by the people of Israel every year and frequently, and they knew it by heart. So they knew a summary of their historical background. Another um, such formula of faith or summary of what the people should believe and do is in also the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and so forth. It continues. And then in the New Testament also we have some, several good um, expressions of these formulas of faith, simple, concrete, and specific. What is in the letter of St. Paul to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And this is what it says. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion. He, and refers to Christ, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed throughout the world, taken up in glory. There's another formula taught by St. Paul, written by St. Paul in one of his letters. In the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse, chapter 15, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. And he says, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. There's another in Romans 10, verse 9. I'm not going to read it. Just You can read it uh, at some point. Romans 10, verse 9. And another one in Matthew 28, verse 19. This is a brief formula of belief in the Holy Trinity. When Christ says to his apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that is the formula that the priest uses for baptism. So, those are just some examples of the scriptures, but soon after that, there were other symbols of faith written up by the apostles and their successors, so that all Catholics could commit to the unity of their faith, as it was of greatest importance for them to know what they believed, so that they would be in union with the whole church, and believe 
what the Lord Jesus had taught and passed on to the faith. So, in a sense, what while this may seem to us a little bit of little importance, why do we need to know all these formulas learned by heart, right? Sometimes we may think that way. But in an age, especially we may think that way, especially in a time where everyone is kind of encouraged to think for his own, to think whatever they want, right, with a sort of relativism, of uh, philosophical relativism, the reality of the first Christians was very different. Because for them, believing in Christ and believing what Christ taught meant probably to have to embrace terrible sacrifices and even to be killed or put to death. So, of course, nobody would like to face execution for some truths that they were not sure if they were the right ones, of course. So this is why it was very important to them not only to know which were the revealed books of the New Testament, because that was also sometimes a reason for being executed, but especially to know which were the, which were the revealed truths, revealed by Christ, of course, that they had to embrace in order to be saved. This is why the first Christians, more probably at the prompting of the apostles, had a summary of the faith to be memorized. And those truths of faith were typically known by heart and passed on orally. Actually, they were not supposed to commit them into writing. And they were used at the moment of baptism when one wanted to be baptized. They would have to uh, put forth or profess this uh, creed or this doctrine of faith. This summary of faith that was used in Rome, these, these summaries of faith were used all over the church. But the one that was used in Rome was later called the Old Roman Creed or Old Roman Symbol, which is actually very similar to our modern Apostles' Creed and was already in the first, used in the first century or early in the, in, the, in the second century. But again, it was not put into writing, but memorized orally, and that's why there are no records of the early forms or expressions of this faith. It was called creed or symbol. And uh, today, by the way, Father Matthew is with us. I haven't introduced him yet. <laughs> here, here, here is Father yeah. Matthew. Hi, Father. <laughs> that's a good introduction. That's good. Right. Father Matthew is here to, to talk a little bit about uh, the symbols of faith as well. Uh, so, have, hi, Father Matthew. Hi, Father. <laughs> good. Very good. So, you, you also uh, studied a little bit about these symbols of faith and um, what symbol means and everything. Right, I remember one of our professors talking about that um, when we were, exactly, when we were looking at the creeds and whatnot, um, and why, actually, I remember that was a big question, so, like, why do we use the word symbol, right? Because uh -huh. um, it's not, at least in English, it doesn't seem to be connected in any way with the idea of a creed. Um, creed is the more common word. Right, because symbol, but, we, we think of symbol like a statue, a symbol of... Right. Uh, there's a gas station nearby or a right, represents railroad something crossing. Else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but what uh, I remember what the professor explained was the, the origin of the word symbol um, makes a lot more sense if you think, if you look at the Greek, which uh, it would come from two words or a sort of a prefix sim, which means to sort of unite or bring together. Um, from there, we have a lot of other words in, in English, like symphony, which means to bring together, like unify different sounds. Um, and balain, which means to, to throw or to move. So it means to sort of bring things together, basically to unite. 
Um, and one of the things that was uh, originally referred to as a symbolon then in Greek uh, or a symbol was actually a sort of artifact, a, a disc or even a plate or something like that, that would be broken into two parts. And of course, what would result was would be sort of an irregular jagged line between the two. And it would be used to identify a particular person. So this two parties, the two parties would break uh, an, this artifact or disc or whatever in, in half. And they would go on their ways. And when they would reunite, they would be able to tell if this was indeed the person that they had met before. So, for example, let's say I'm a traveler and I leave some money at an inn or something like that or whatever. And I w- know that I'm coming back, so I want to get it back. Well, in order to identify myself, we, we break the, the disc in two, and then on my way back, I prove that, okay, I'm the one who left this here by uh, showing that my half fits his half. And so that was that thing was mine. Um, and from there, it also took on the, the broader signification of a symbolon of sort of just a collection of things or even uh, a body of truths. And there we see the the meaning moving more towards what we have in mind as being a creed. I right, guess, that's right? like a like a second meaning of the word symbol, right? Symbol right. as something that unites, that identifies us as Catholics, the right. symbol of faith, and then something that um, is a collection of truths, a summary of the faith. That right. would be the second meaning, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you have both of those meanings uh, coming into play, I guess, in our creed. It unifies, it identifies us, and it also manifests a body of, of truth. Right, right. And uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem. So in this sense, it's important we're talking about very early church writers and very early church realities and how actually the faith passed on from Jesus Christ to the rest of history, right? To right. us today, right? right? So to look at those first centuries is very important. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem right there in the first centuries of the church, wrote that uh, the following. This synthesis of faith was not made to a, in accordance with human opinions, but rather was one of the greatest importance gathered from all the scriptures to present the one teaching of the faith in its entirety. And just as the mustard seed contains a great number of branches in a tiny grain, so to this summary of faith, encompassed in few words, the whole knowledge of the true religion contained in the Old and the New Testaments. And this is St. Cyril of Jerusalem writing in his catechetical lecture number five. So, um, so yes, exactly, as you were saying. So there's symbol of faith in uh, something that identifies a person and symbol of faith in, a, in the sense of a collection of truths, a summary of faith. And that summary was important because one could learn it by heart, right? right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And profess it before baptism, right? So, so we will see. Uh, we will look then at the different creeds. There are two most important creeds, and these creeds uh, or symbols of faith. It's interesting because mm, there are many others that were mm, put forth by different councils sure, or different right. uh, local synods of bishops, and different bishops or popes would have different symbols. But these two are most important. What we're going to talk today the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. What is important of all these creeds is that they are always uh, structured around 
three person, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and divided into twelve articles. Right. So, so why don't you tell us, Father Matthew, about uh, this Apos- Apostles' Creed, its origin, where it comes from, and why it is important today? Sure, sure. Well, the Apostles' Creed, um, if anyone's not familiar with the name, might recognize it be, uh, as being the creed that we pray, for example, at the beginning of the Rosary. It can also be prayed at Mass, but it's typically not the one that's chosen. Typically, um, the form that's a little bit longer than Nicene Creed uh, is the one that we pray at Mass. But the Apostles' Creed, um, it gets its name, obviously, from the fact that it was seen as uh, going back to the Apostles. Now, right. what we have to understand, I think, correctly, how exactly that happened, because it's not like, oh, Apostles' Creed, that means that Jesus Christ, right before he ascended to heaven, he, he handed over this document, right, that had these 12, these 12 different lines on it that summed up the faith. Right, but I think, I think at one time it was supposed or thought that the Apostles themselves had written it being 12 articles and 12 apostles. Right, like exactly. So it seemed very convenient, right? So this tradition uh, sort of developed Develop, saying, right. okay, so um, St. Matthew would have wrote, written one of the articles and St. John would have written one of the other articles and so there's 12 apostles and so we have 12, 12 articles, articles. In, in, the, in the creed. Well, that's not ex- exactly how it happened. But, and so we, we see the, the apostles' creed like in its current form cropping up however, in the first few centuries. But it's not traceable in its current form to, to, to the apostles in the sense that it's obvious that the apostles sat down and wrote this creed. So okay. we could say that while it was not literally in its current form written by the 12 apostles, its origins are traced back to the apostles. Right. right. Yeah. So they, exactly. they had to do some. They had something to do with the current Apostles' Creed. Right. Exactly. And that's and that's the important thing to, thing to realize. And in the end, you know, we're not so worried about the fact of how something's formulated, it, it, as long as it's saying the same thing. So right. what this word was here, or if this if this truth was said first or later, or not necessarily in any particular order. But the important thing is that okay, the truths that are named here. The truths that are that are manifested do date back to the apostles. So the way that right, we put they, them together can, can could vary. And, right, and they include basically a revealed truth. So these right. things that what that's why what Saint Cyril said I think is key that these are not made to accord with human opinions, right. but rather what was of the greatest importance was gathered from all the scriptures to present the one teaching of the faith in its entirety. Right, exactly. So what the apostles and their successors could take from the scriptures are the most important things. They put them together in this symbolon or summary of faith so that every time we would be baptized, we would repeat it, and every right. time we would go to Sunday Mass, we would repeat it. Right, exactly. Exactly. And so in the end, what, what we can do is trace the creed then back to what we would call the rule of faith, or in Latin, regula fide, which are basically the nucleus, the, the center of what we believe. And so already in Acts of the Apostles, for example, you see them requiring uh, the, the eunuch that, that gets baptized, right? That he professed that Jesus Christ is, is the Savior. Right. And we know that they were also baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so there you already have the nucleus, like the core of our faith. You have the Trinity, you have Jesus Christ who became man, who died to save us, etc. And so 
Um, those are those are sort of the the formulations, if you will, the the yeah the rules, the way of believing that then gave rise to the what we call the symbols or the creeds, little by little. As you had already mentioned, from there we would go on to to identify the old what would be called the old Roman creed. So something that arose from this rule of faith that the apostles were already uh, practicing. And the, the, the old Roman creed, if I'm not mistaken, can be traced to the church in Rome. That's why it's called the old Roman creed, because right. it was actually truly and effectively, uh, where it is confirmed historically to have been used in the church of Ro in Rome right. in the very early uh, decades of Christianity, and therefore that it It came from the that rule of faith passed on by the Apostle Peter, who was the one who established the church in Rome. So right, exactly. we're not too far from saying that these truths were effectively taught, directly taught by the Apostle Peter. Right. You know, so they were revealed truths that came through the Apostle St. Peter to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome put forth this old Roman creed. Right, exactly. And hence you can see also the importance of the Apostles' Creed which is seen as sort of flowing from or coming from this old Roman creed. Right. So uh, why, if there are so many different ways of formulating the truths of the faith, why is it that the Apostles' Creed is the one that has sort of risen above the others and been given so much importance? Well, because it came precisely from the Sea of Peter. It has an authority, um, uh, and a, more, a greater authority. Let's right, say. And, and one can actually find the old Roman creed online. So if you look old Roman creed, It shows up, and you can make a perfect parallel between the Old Roman Creed and the Apostles' Creed. It's almost the same, just a little bit more developed, if you right. want. Right, right. And that's really interesting to see how how the the faith of the Church developed in the same line, without changing anything radically, just developing or enhancing what was there from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think the other thing that's really interesting, is, as you had briefly mentioned, the fact that we are talking about a creed that was uh, formed already in the first centuries, but that already had these 12 articles. So the, the, the most important aspects of our faith were already put down, so to speak, on paper, or at least memorized, as you were saying. It's not like as the centuries have gone on, they thought, oh no, there's actually this other really important part of our faith that uh, would be seen as a central aspect. And so we need to add 13th or 14th article or anything like that um yeah so already already from the beginning we have the com the the completeness i guess of our faith shown manifested gathered together in this uh in this symbol the, that's the apostles creed right right so the apostles creed is basically the one that has the 12 articles of faith If anyone repeats the Apostle Creed, almost every, each sentence is one of the articles. Right. So I'm not going to read them all because, you know, it will make it too long. But that's very interesting, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's the first article. Right. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Second article. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Third article. And so on and so forth until the 12th article. And all the creeds repeat that structure. So that's pretty, and also the old Roman creed already had it from the first century almost. Yeah, you know? yeah. And w one thing, just a random fact, I guess, but that is interesting. I remember a professor of ours saying, or pointing out that in our creed, 
unlike in, in other faiths, where you just have to sort of adhere to a more abstract doctrine, in our faith, uh, sorry, in our creed, we have very specific historic events. So it's not only that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but we believe that in a specific place, at a specific time, right, by a specific person, Our Lady, God became man. And that, right. that historical event is also a part of our formulation of what we believe. Right, another very, very clearly historical event is that Christ was crucified under, under Pontius, Pontius Pilate, Pilate yeah. right? So there you have the name of a governor, a, a procurator of a particular area in a particular time. You can go look him up in, from a historical record and find him there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Good, and the other, so the other creed that it, we also use to this day is the Nicene Creed. It's a little longer, uh, but we, it's the one we typically uh, recite in Sunday Mass. And it was the one that, after the Apostles' Creed, became most important, right, and most widely known. And what is also important is that it is accepted by most Christian denominations, the Eastern Orthodox churches, the um, Coptic churches, and the Protestant churches. They all accept most of, at least enough, if not all, the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed uh, originated... And the profession of faith set forth by the Council of Nicaea, first uh, council that took place in the year 325 AD, and it was uh, convened by Emperor Constantine the First. Because so, by the way, the uh, city of Nicaea, that name is not used anymore, but it's in uh, western, northwestern Turkey, near Constantinople, more or less in that area of Turkey. And um, it was uh, one of the most important things of this council was that the emperor wanted to convene, to bring together all the bishops of Christ Christianity, of Christendom, of the Catholic Church, to try to work on figuring out the controversy surrounding the divinity of the Word, of the second person of the Holy Trinity, that, and therefore the divinity of Jesus Christ. And the problem had been, uh, what is behind this, is very important, because it was one of the most important heresies of all the history of the church, that is, the heresy of Arius, who claimed that Jesus was the Word made flesh, as we say, but that the Word was not divine, was not consubstantial with the Father, was not equal to God and coeternal to the Father, but was a sort of a creation of the Father. So, if the Word, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the logos, right, the Son, if the Son is created, meaning at one point he did not exist, and then he began to exist, then he is not God. He may be a very important person, <laughs> a very important being, but he's not God. And if he's not God, even if he takes on human flesh and Jesus Christ and dies on the cross, he doesn't actually redeem us from sin. So Arius, who was a priest from Alexandria, very popular, very, very popular, and promoted this teaching throughout Christianity, became very uh, accepted and wild, wide, widely accepted doctrine that the Word was really not God. And many bishops accepted this doctrine as well, that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, but that the Word is really not God, or is a God, as some say, right? Or is similar, of similar substance to God. And uh, so Athanasius was also a priest in Alexandria, 
and he su- supported the opposite um, or the, the correct Catholic and traditional teaching taught from the apostles that Jesus Christ was equal to God. You know, he was God. And therefore, the Word made flesh, that Word, the Son or the second person of the Holy Trinity, is God, equal to God, coeternal to God, of the same substance of the Father. Although they're all one God, they're two different persons. So Athanasius held this position, and uh, essentially what, what stays today, well, we'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, but that word consubstantial with the Father. He was not a similar substance to the Father, but the same substance, the same being, the same substance, so consubstantial with the Father. And that comes from that time, from the 4th century. Um, and this, this was discussed and, uh, and confirmed. It wasn't that they voted, oh, let's see what's, what we decide here. No, the idea was to know what it is that Jesus taught. What was the revealed truth? And they con- concluded that the revealed truth, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus Christ and the apostles, is that Jesus Christ was truly God, right? And therefore, consubstantial with the Father. So, from the Nicene Creed, one of the most important... Uh, so, they took up the Apostles' Creed and developed certain areas that they thought more important, particularly regarding this divinity of the Word. Right, so they con- concluded Arius is wrong, Athena- Athanasius is correct. We all agree that Christ is God and that therefore we are saved by the death of Christ on the cross. And that what had to be inserted into the creed. And this is why when we read in, on Mass, at the Mass, the creed, we say those words that clarify all this. Talking about Jesus Christ, we say, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, or not created, one in being with the Father, or how we say today in the translation, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. So that's all the addition from the Council of Nicaea. Very clear, right? Super clear. (laughs) So they, that they, there's no they doubt. They to make sure, right, that there were no, no, no doubts about what was right. going on. Right. And uh, it's interesting today, if anyone is attentive of the prayers at Mass, uh, the collect of the Mass, or the first Mass um, that is said after the, the... The first prayer. the Right, the first prayer of the Mass that the priest says, at the end we say, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the union of the Father and the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever and not one God. Before it said one God, and the reason for saying God is that that God refers to Jesus Christ, for, through whom the prayer is being said, who is God forever and ever, right? So, uh, so that's, that's a clarification, an important clarification of the Nicene Creed. Now, it's called Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed because it was also completed, if you want, later by the Council of Constantinople. In the year 381, so uh, around 60 years later, um, because there were other similar Aryan, new Aryan developments, if you want, or heresies, and therefore now they started, um, you know, applying the same heresy to the Holy Spirit and to other uh, realities or perceptions. So the the creed was uh, enhanced a little bit more or 
confirmed or developed a bit more, not changed, but clarified, right? So when it speaks about the Holy Spirit, they wanted to clarify that the Holy Spirit also is God, right? And therefore, we also have that section added to the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Spirit that says this, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Because it's equally God and also consubstantial with the Father and the Son. So, um, so this is more or less what we wanted to present today in the, in the creed. Yes, go ahead. No, uh, I was actually, I, I don't know, that makes me happy. I like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's good to know that we are saying these things that we, we are not uh, putting forth something that we invented right. or that some people in the Middle Ages invented or in the uh, early ages invented or, or centuries invented. No, this comes directly from Jesus Christ and the apostles. Right. Of course, because of the different, uh, um, let's say, challenges to the truth that then that some heretics uh, pre presented, or people who didn't, oh, they thought it was the truth, and they were teaching things that were untrue. The church had to clarify: No, this is what we believe: that God, is, that the Son is God, co-eternal with the Father, eternally begotten from the Father, not in time. Right? It was not; He was not begotten in time. Because if he had been begotten in time, he would be a creature and therefore not God. Right? right. And the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. So these things are most important for us every time we say them to truly put our hearts into them and realize that many people kind of give their, gave their lives for them. Arius, uh, no, Arius, uh, Athanasius, <laughs> at the hands of Arius and his followers, had to suffer a lot. He suffered exile and not exile, only like Athanasius, many others. Right, were tortured sometimes. Yeah. Someone, some, some of them died in their tortures. So it, we are joining a plethora of saints and of martyrs throughout the history of the church and of all centuries in confessing God, who is one in three persons, and also confessing all the 12 articles of the faith. And for this, I hope we are willing to give our lives and also to live and profess it with all our hearts and our minds. Yep, let's hope so. That's what we want to ask the grace for. Yes, 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 absolutely. Grace to be able to do that. So well, well, thank you, Father Matthew, for joining me today. Thank you all of you for joining us in this uh, episode that I hope is very inspiring to all of you. Um, yeah, that's all for today. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can look a little bit at the show notes. In the show notes, I will put more information about these uh, creeds and some of the, the quotes of the New Testament and the Old Testament where you can see these formulas, already uh, ancient formulas of faith that remind us that it is important to, to synthesize, to summarize our faith in formulas. And we have to be faithful to those formulas because those formulas uh, express realities that are very precise, right? And are not vague. They're very precise. So, well, uh, that's all then for today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, keep us in your prayers. Keep this podcast in your prayers. Uh, if you liked it, if you like this podcast or this episode and any other episode, make sure first to subscribe to your preferred platform. That helps a lot. And also to let others know about the podcast. And if you can, to review it in Apple Podcasts, because that also helps many people to uh, 
um, let's say, see what it has in, to offer, what, I, what we have to offer here, and to ultimately learn our faith and learn the true faith, the true Catholic faith that we hope to be presenting to you. So thank you everyone for joining me and we'll see you in the next episode of this podcast for College Catholics.